It is not just about writing a book anymore, unfortunately. I think those days are long behind us. Well, hello there. Welcome to Brand Therapy, the podcast where we help all kinds of people with some branding challenges uh, work through it. That's what we do, right? Yeah, what a concise introduction. I try my best. I try my best. I mean, we say it every single time, so I just try and switch it up. Chop it in half every time. This episode, this podcast, is a fun one. Today, we're talking to an author who has a very real challenge. The challenge being, not only do you have to create a great story, but you also have to bring an audience to the table. And I love, because I talk about this and tell people that this is the reality of it. And Valentina, our guest today, confirms that this is the case. Yeah, like as if writing a book isn't hard enough. You have to write a book and then also have to prove that you've got an audience. So we worked through that with Valentina today. It's a good episode. It's a good episode because I think, too, not every industry or job uh, is it obvious how to use a visual platform like Instagram or any social media platform for that matter. So I think that this is going to be useful, even if you're not an author, trying to figure out how you use some of these platforms to show proof of concept. Should we get started? I think we should. Let's dive right into our conversation with Valentina. Hi, I am Valentina. I'm a freelance journalist currently based in London getting my master's in creative nonfiction and hopefully publishing my first book within the next year or two years. Amazing. Have you drafted your book yet or do you know what you're going to write about? Yes, I'm about 30. I'm I'm almost at the halfway mark of 60,000 words. Wow. Wow. How exciting. Yeah. (laughs) Nerve-wracking and exciting. Yeah, both. So I know how it used to work with publishing, but I'm curious to know, are you signed? Are you writing and then trying to sell it? Do you start selling your book before you've finished it? Like, how does that world work? Yeah, I mean, it's gonna, it, it just depends. That is all personal. It depends on who you are and what you've done before. For me, my situation right now is that I'm in a master's program specifically to write this book. I've been a freelance journalist for 10 years, so I have a lot under my belt in terms of writing as a career. But I will be looking for representation within the next year. So basically, you know, when I'm when I have a like six chapters basically that are ready and clean to go out, I'll start querying agents who then fingers crossed somebody signs me. I mean, hey, maybe there'll be a bidding war. Who knows? Probably not likely. <laughs> and then yeah, so then I would sign with an agent, and then they they do the the rest of the work, which is trying to sell the actual book. And there is the option to self-publish, of course. It's not a route I am looking to do at all, but I know lots of people do it nowadays and some find a lot of success with it. Yeah, I imagine with fiction, it's probably more difficult to find success if you're self-publishing. Do you think? I'm writing nonfiction. Oh, you're writing nonfiction. Sorry, I thought you were in a creative fiction. I misheard. You're in a creative nonfiction class. Yeah, got it, got yeah, it. Yeah, creative nonfiction. Okay, cool. Which is, I some people are, are confused by that, by that yeah, genre. Can you explain? It's a, fairly, <laughs> it's a fairly newer genre. By that, I mean like at least a decade, if not more, but about a decade, like in the mainstream. And I mean, really, like you find a lot of memoirs that are in that 
that genre. Mine is a memoir. It really is just giving people the ability to be more creative with how they tell their own story. You know, if I want to talk about a day that happened 10 years ago, like I can make up what the weather was like. I can also, I can recreate dialogue as long as it is still getting to the point of what was actually said in a particular conversation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you, you're like given the freedom to take creative, creative liberties. liberties. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's, that's what it is. And so people have been doing this for a long time. It's just that I think that the, the publishing industry and writers too, and authors as well, wanted to categorize it more so that it could categorize it more clearly, I guess I should say, so that, you know, people can say, oh, well, mine is a nonfiction, historical nonfiction. And like, you know exactly what that means then. And if you say, well, mine is creative nonfiction, like you know what you're getting into and nobody's going to read it and be disappointed that they find out oh, well, that wasn't like, how could she prove that that conversation happened? It was when she was five and now she's 35. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> Valentina, I trust that you could write a really good book. But as you know, it's not just about writing the book. What are some of the other elements that you have to juggle as part of this project and challenge? Yeah, so it is not just about writing a book anymore. Unfortunately, I think those days are long behind us. And this goes for any sort of self-made slash freelance creative career. It is not just about what you are doing. It is everything that goes along it that includes promoting yourself as a kind of as a brand, you know? Um, so Valentina is, is my brand. <laughs> Um, and I need to, I mean, publishers and agents, I have heard this through the grapevine. I have not had a publisher and agent say this to me directly, but I've heard it from multiple different writers and authors that they have had agents and publishers tell them that they want their social media numbers up and they want engagement high. Mm-hmm. So this is a whole new when social media, I mean, I didn't grow up with it. I am 35. Oh my gosh, almost 35. <laughs> Give myself another Come on, tea. yeah, let's not rush this. <laughs> um, let's not, let's not rush this. So the point is, I didn't grow up with social media. And even at the beginning of my career, I did not have to deal with social media and worry about it. And when it came along, it was very fun. And I was like, this is great. I love connecting with people on Facebook, old friends of mine and seeing everybody's pictures on Instagram. That's all really exciting. Or saying stupid quips on Twitter. And I enjoyed it until I started to realize that that numbers were a thing, right? Like getting my engagement up and getting more followers was important to to how I'm valued as a writer. And that really sort of brought me down for a while. And I, I tried to fight against it. And now I'm at this place where where I would like to be able to embrace it as another part of my job without like spending a ton of money, a ton of time, a ton of effort. And I don't know if that's just, um, is that like an impossibility where I'm like, oh, I want to put the effort in, but I don't want to put the effort in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've outlined a challenge I think a lot of people are going to relate to, and that's that you can't beat them join them, but then you can't really join them. Yeah. I think unless you really see value in it for yourself. And 
I relate mm-hmm. to this, even though social media is something I typically enjoy. And I obviously see the value in it because I've made a business out of it. But at the same time, and Lauren will reaffirm this, but I really, for example, did not like Instagram for a long time because I found it stressful. I found like it there's a lot of pressure to post really high quality visuals. And I couldn't figure out how to do that if I'm a terrible yeah. photographer. And then it's like, I'm putting all this effort into this thing. And it's like, do, does this really, should this really get this much effort? But it was a process for me to see value in it and to enjoy the process, if you will. Um, and I think that's where we need to get you to a point where you see the value in building what we would call proof of concept, your social media's proof of concept. When you go into a publisher, and this is what I often talk about, and you've, um, you know, what you've said really kind of complements this, uh, not what's been told to you directly, but you know, people that are facing this, they're going into meetings and, and publishers are saying, you know, gone are the days where you just bring a great book and we do the rest. They expect you to sell it, they expect you to yeah. be on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they'll give you an advance for the book, but at the same time, that's not like free money. That's almost like a loan in a way. So it's, yeah, it is a loan. So you've, so we've got to figure out how do we build proof of concept? How do we argue like a lawyer would that you are the best candidate for this opportunity and you're the one to have a platform to sell it? I mean, I hate the term influencer, but we say it a lot because it's relevant now because these are people who've built an audience around a particular topic or focus. Mm-hmm have a captive audience that a lot of times mm-hmm. will buy. So that's kind of the challenge that we've outlined that I think is relatable. Lauren, what are your thoughts on this for starters? Well, I agree with everything you said. Shocker. <clears throat> but I think that the key is really going to be figuring out what your passion could be on social media so that you want to do it regularly. My immediate thought is that you're writing creative nonfiction. It's a memoir. Therefore, your social media should be kind of hinting and sort of like, you know, dancing around the memoir topics slightly so that people can start getting to know you and wanting to learn more about you through your soon-to-be novel. That's my thought. So like curating. I think so. So how far back does your memoir go? Is it covering a certain period of time? Um, It is. Yeah, I'll go back to even before my birth, because I write about my family as well, uh, my mother. So, I mean, we're talking, it goes back to 1944. I love it. No, I love it. I love it. And I think if you're going to be exploring the past in that way in your memoir, there's no reason why that exploration couldn't carry over slightly into Instagram, like sharing small stories or asides or things that you're learning about the past or thinking about how your mom's actions in her 20s are echoing your actions now in your 30s, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about Instagram specifically right now? Well, I'm thinking Instagram, Twitter. Basically, what I want is I want your exploration, your brain while you're putting this book together. I want snippets uh-huh. of that on social media in whichever platform feels most inspiring to you. Snippets of my brain. I'm writing this down right now. And you should write it down, but this is kind of this moment where we hold a mirror in front of you. We're not really doing anything other mm-hmm. than holding a mirror in front of you saying, hey, you already know how to tell stories. You're writing a freaking memoir. Me- I just said memoir. <laughs> memoir. Yes. You know how to tell stories. Now it's time to take inventory 
of those moments that happen naturally for you and share them Mm -hmm. in a way that lets other people in. So I have a specific question about this storytelling thing because I did a version of this a while back. I said, okay, my Instagram posts are going to be um, little mini stories underneath, right? It's not just going to be about the picture. I'm going to write a little something and also work on my hashtags and get the relevant hashtags there and everything. And my engagement did not go up and it got me discouraged. And I stopped. How long did you do that for? Not long. Let's say under a month. Hey, Dalton. Hey, Lauren. Do you remember what I made you and everyone on the team do over Christmas break? Take a test. I made you take a test. The Myers-Briggs test, to be exact. And did you like it? I did. It told me a lot about myself that I didn't know. Did it really? Well, that's so funny you say that because you might want to consider the brand audit session that Phil and I actually offer. So that's right. You're listening to a kind of like condensed form of the brand audit session through this podcast. But if you're shy or if you want something a bit more in depth, this is a service that Phil and I offer. Privately. Privately. It's not going to be broadcasted across the internet to millions and millions of people. Oh my God. I hope we, I hope <laughs> millions of people listen to this. Anyway, if you're interested in a brand audit session of your own, it's really simple. Just visit philpallon.expert slash therapy and you will get how much of a discount? A whole 15%. Yeah. 15, not five zero, 15. <laughs> you know what you can do with that 15% that you save? You can do so many things with that. You could buy like, like how many? You could buy like, like, 75 lattes. 75 lattes. I don't actually know. I just did. I'm like bad at math on the you spot. You could buy groceries. You could buy groceries. You could go to Starbucks multiple times. Yeah. And you'll have a clear direction of your brand, just like a Myers-Briggs test will give you for your personality. And what you'll do to celebrate when you get that brand with the 15% that you saved, you can go to happy hour. Yep. You can go get tacos. There's just endless possibilities. Endless. endless. Okay. Well, anyway, I hope people take us off on the up on that special offer. Let's get back to the show. And my engagement did not go up and it got me discouraged and I stopped. How long did you do that for? Not long. Let's say under a month. Yeah. <laughs> Let's say like uh, probably about uh, under a dozen posts. Got it. So I think, and I could tell by your kind of sheepish answer about how long it took. (laughs) This is where persistence comes in. So with any social media effort, you need to remember that it's not about the performance of a single post. It's about setting up almost a scientific playground so that you can experiment with posts and figure out what people like best. That's really what it comes down to, is testing a variety of posts so that you can measure performance that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So if if you were trying stories and stories wasn't working, then maybe a quote or maybe just a few words in almost a poetic type way, maybe experimenting with, you know, historical black and white photos or regramming old photos that feel nostalgic and tagging the, like crediting the original brand that that photo came from. I would definitely recommend like testing a variety of posts, converting your Instagram account into a business profile. It's really easy to do. You just need to create a Facebook page and you can make it private. And if you convert to a business profile, then you have a whole world of analytics to see how your posts are doing. Uh huh. Yeah, I did go to business for a while. 
And then I, I didn't like it and I left it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely more for marketers. But like we're saying, you know, if you're a writer, you've kind of got to be a marketer too. So, And I know it, it is discouraging because especially if you're being vulnerable in those posts, it doesn't feel very nice for there to be minimal response. Mm-hmm. But I think to feel like you have a bit more control in the situation, I would jot down a variety of posts that you could experiment with, whether it's a quote card with uh, where the image is literally a quote, if it's a throwback with historical photos of your family or a certain era or time period, mm-hmm. um, that would work. Regrams. So you could, you know, I would just basically make a list of all of them and come up with a rough system so that it doesn't feel too sporadic mm-hmm. and and just do that experiment for about, I don't know, what, what would you say, Phil, three months? Yeah, I, I think three months is a good campaign period. You want to constantly be asking yourself, if someone lands on this page, why are they going to follow me? Are the visuals really good? Are the captions really good in terms of the story that they're telling? I think that one for you is more important as a writer. How do all of these elements work together almost like a mood board, a visual mood board, but in the way of copy. Like Lauren, you, well, Lauren reads more than I do. I don't actually read that much. Shocker. Um, <laughs> I have a very short attention span, but Lauren, do you follow authors on Instagram? Do you know of any that are doing interesting things? I like Roxanne Gay the most on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Do you follow, follow her? I do. Yeah. And what I like about her is like, you kind of, when you read her posts, it feels almost like you're in, you know, like it feels Mm -hmm. like you're her friend and she's Mm -hmm. being like real with you. Like there's one post I was just scrolling through just now and she was talking about how she just had to, she was just um, like photographed at a photo shoot and she said, stylists don't know how to like pull for fat people because there's nothing to pull. And then you have to explain that the clothes they pulled won't fit. And I think like that kind of vulnerability is really refreshing. The photo's not even that like aesthetically that great but yeah, I just I know like I just like about, how, yeah. I like how real she is like that's what I really appreciate and I think that that especially if you're in the mode of like writing and exploring your past and your family like that kind of honesty is going to come naturally to you mm-hmm. okay what about so these are these are these are good like okay cool I'm going to choose you know one format essentially and then and then do that for three months um, is there any point where you think that people like me in a similar position to me should be spending money on social media? It's a very good question. In fact, my advice today might be different than what I would have said even a few weeks ago. I very recently have started boosting every post that I post on Instagram for $10, $5 a day over two days. So I'm actually posting less on Instagram than I used to. And I'm putting more effort into every single individual feed post on Instagram. So I used to aspire to post six times a week and take one day off. And I honestly can't keep up with it because I that'd be full time. But you know, yeah. because it's yeah. it's the visual. The visual has to look good. It's the caption. The caption has to be thoughtful. Hashtags. Oh yeah, no, I'm definitely it, not doing that yeah. six days a week. <laughs> well, I couldn't. I couldn't. And I was almost trying to teach it and give people a goal to work towards and I couldn't even do it myself. So I maybe post uh-huh. three times a week if I'm on fire that week. But when I do, a lot of thought goes into it. And I will sometimes spend half an hour to 45 minutes just picking hashtags and researching 
hashtags that are between 15,000 and 150,000 total posts under that hashtag is typically the recommendation. But I'm giving an example now. So less pressure on quantity, and I'd say more quality now on your on your feed. So I have found that boosting, so yes, I spend $30 a week on boosting my posts, but Instagram is inevitably heading in the direction that Facebook did a few years ago, where we went from getting away with posts that we would just post and not boost. And now, I mean, I think it's a good investment by boosting $10, and that's $5 a day over two days, I will sometimes nearly double the amount of likes I get. And I get messages from people that say, wow, I love that logo you designed. And that's a lead. Mm, You know, that's the kind of result I'd get if I spent money on AdWords, which would cost more, or spent ads on LinkedIn, which would cost way more. So for me, it's a good investment. And I put effort into this so that when people land there, they get a sense of who I am, why people should care. And Valentina, as you kind of embark on this adjusted strategy, I almost want people to land on your Instagram, get a little visual look into your diary or into your mind, into your process, Mm -hmm. into the way that you see opportunities for stories to be told. That's your craft and that's your magic. And you've got to kind of figure out how do we show that on Instagram, which is a visual platform. Okay. All of these elements will start to work together. It's not overnight. So it's not overnight and it's not even one month. It might not even be three months, but don't put so much pressure on yourself and try and find a way to enjoy the process, I think is the advice I would give, which is something I have found actually only very recently. That's good to know. Can I, do I, do, can I ask another question? Is that how you want to keep going? Sure, sure. Okay. Because you mentioned it just before, and it made me think about the hashtag thing. Um, I believe, is it, what, 30? You can do 30 hashtags on a post, like, and that includes either in the post or in the comments. That's right. Right. And how you said something about a number before. Like basically, what is the hashtag game? (laughs) I know what a hashtag is, obviously. But how do you win the hashtag game? Yeah, it's a good question. Essentially, you have up to, as you said, 30 hashtags in the comment or in the post. I believe, as Lauren said, it's per day. But the per day thing doesn't really matter because your post, the hashtags are really most effective in the first, honestly, hour, two hours, three hours, up to 24 hours that you post it. Beyond that, they're not really useful. By adding a hashtag to a post, it makes your post discoverable under that specific hashtag. Now, I give the range if you're trying to choose hashtags. Hashtag happy is not really a good one because there's going to be millions and millions of posts. But something that is between 15,000 total posts and 150,000 total posts is typically a good range. It's harder to rank in 150,000 than it is in 15,000. And what I mean by rank is that when you click on those hashtags, your content is organized into two categories. Top posts, which are the top nine that you'll see on the grid that people have posted in their top based on engagement and likes. And then you'll see most recent. And most recent obviously populates with what is most recently posted with that hashtag and it changes every second. Right. That's how the game works. So keep it between 15,000 and 150,000. And if you're really savvy, within 24 hours of posting that post, click those hashtags and see if you ranked in the top nine. 
typically you can tell that in a few hours after you post it within the first 24 hours. Right. So that's the game. Great. Thank you. I know we've really focused on Instagram here. Is there, I mean, is Twitter still relevant? I think it is. I think it is. But I think Twitter is relevant from like a communication standpoint. So it's really, it's really challenging to just tweet something and have it be retweeted or go viral or even be seen. So I think for you, it would make more sense to use Twitter as like a conversation starter or to tweet other writers that you admire, to tweet even publications you admire and use it more that way. Yeah. Do you agree, Phil? What do you think? We haven't talked about Twitter. You and I haven't talked about Twitter for a while. To be honest, I don't have a good answer. Yeah, I don't have a good answer for this yet. I mean, we've been super hyped up on Twitter over the years, but I think Twitter has changed. It's evolving. And I don't actually, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm open for the universe to tell me how this platform is working for people. And it's actually something I'm researching now so that I can have a better stance on it. So I actually don't have the answer to that question right now. I can't answer confidently this platform, but it's something I'm in the middle of researching, trying to understand for 2018, 2019. You know, I don't have a good answer for it yet. I will, but I don't have it yet. I'm waiting with bated breath. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What a great little conversation. I feel good about this new direction. And I know we've talked a lot about Instagram, as we often do on this podcast, but it's one of those platforms that strategies that we talk about for this platform often are directly applicable to others. As long as you remember, do something different on every platform so that people are enticed to follow you on each platform. How are you feeling about all this in terms of what we talked about? Yeah, I feel really good. I think this will be like there are actionable steps, right? Like I'm leaving this with actionable steps. And I think anybody who brought up, I mean, the reason I did this in the first, like we have this idea in the first place is because they said, oh, all these other up and coming authors are saying that their publishers and agents want their numbers up. And they're all coming to these Facebook groups where we get to gripe to each other and you know, be like, oh my God, I can't do this as well as pour my heart out onto the page. And any one of those authors who listen to this, I think will get just as much out of it as I did. Beautiful. Well, thank you for letting us kind of go with the flow and discover an exciting direction for you. And you'll have to report back on how all of this goes. Yes, I will. No, thank you guys so much. It was really helpful. It's our pleasure. And I look forward to seeing you in London very soon. Yay! Thank you, Valentina, for being so open and going with the flow and and, um, having this new direction. We appreciate you being on Brand Therapy. Thank you so much for having me. Valentina. I feel good about that new direction. I think it's interesting that you mentioned Roxanne Gay because you know I don't know anything about authors, but I do know who she is because I saw her interview Michelle Obama at Inbound. You did. And you want to know something embarrassing? She came out on stage and I had no idea who she was. Well, I mean, in your defense, you don't often see writers. You would probably recognize her name, right? Kind (laughs) of. God. But I think it's hard, right? Authors typically pour themselves into a story, into an idea, and then some of them, a lot of them, are hesitant to kind of position themselves. But as Valentina, you know, as a personal brand, and then as Valentina said, now you have to. 
they expect you to not only have a great story, but you need to have an army, an audience, a people, a group of people that care. Can you believe that? Like, I mean, I don't know. I, it makes sense, but it's also kind of sad for someone who just wants to write and then and pour themselves into their craft. And then they have to think about this whole other complicated world. I don't know. Well, we should be grateful because it keeps us employed. <laughs> Can you believe that? Poor Valentina. I mean. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I feel good about that. That's a really good direction for her. We'd love to know what you think. What do you think about our conversation? Find us on social media. Hashtag Naina Hadiism. Hashtag brand therapy. I'm at Phil Palin. I'm at the Lauren Moore. And if you've taken the time to listen to this episode, then you should just take a few extra seconds to let us know what you think. Send us a tweet. Find us on Instagram. Let's continue the conversation. And if you enjoyed it, make sure you visit the iTunes store or the podcast store or whatever it's called and leave us a review. That helps other people discover this so they can learn and listen as well. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. As you know, we do right here on Brand Therapy. Look forward to it. Bye. Here's what's coming next week. By the end of like September, I started to get a little discouraged. I was like, oh man, can't people just see my brilliance? And no, you know what I'm saying? It was like, no, <laughs> something I need to really develop more relationships with. 